All right, all right, all right, all right. Good morning. How are we? Good, 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 good. Good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, welcome to summer. Glad that summer is here. I opened my car door this week and had to rebuke a couple of demons. So we are upon it. We're ready to go, all right? Uh, but I would rather have that than the cold. We will see the cold again in October or January, actually. All right. So we're continuing in Ephesians, uh, and I'm excited about this series. Uh, I just think it's really powerful for us as a body, and I hope that God continues to speak to us uh, in that book and kind of uh, infuse us with who he is, what he would have us do as a body, what he would have us do even as individuals, and uh, the ways in which we are able to see and know him. And so uh, I'm just pumped. Uh, Paul just continues with fire this morning. So um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We are in Ephesians chapter 1 still. Uh, if you uh, have a smartphone, you can pull up the Version app underneath events, type in the well Austin. You can follow along that way, uh, or you can take that link and put it right into your browser, and you can follow along that way as well. Uh, also, the ushers are coming forward with some Bibles, so if you do not have one, uh, you want a physical one, you can just slip up your hand. They would uh, love to give you a Bible, and if you do not own one, uh, please take and keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word, be able to use it during the week, and so uh, please uh, take and keep that and bring that home, and we say this every week. We really mean this. Uh, we want your eyes on the Scriptures. Uh, it is so often that somebody is communicating the Word of God, and God, by His Spirit, wants to take our hearts in a different direction. So maybe they pull up a quick point, or you see something in the Word, and the Holy Spirit begins to minister in a way that a human could never do that. And so we want your eyes on the Scripture, for we believe the power of God is even shown in and through that, that He may communicate His love, His affection, His purpose, His will for us. And so be in the Word with us this morning, and keep your eyes on the text as we're walking through it. Um, so Paul picks up kind of right where we left off last week, uh, which this is one letter, so I guess Paul didn't leave off, all right? He continued on what he was already talking about uh, in this idea of kind of praise. And last week we see Paul posturing himself for praise in these very beautiful ways. So if you were with us last week or if you got to listen online, you saw how Paul was trying to highlight this triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and really highlight his affections and even God's love for us. In fact, one of the ways to just word that is, man, if you are a believer, if you know and love Jesus, then it's not just Jesus that loves us, right? But it's actually the triune God, that God the Father loves you, God the Son loves you, God the Holy Spirit loves you, and they're all desperately seeking this intimacy with you, that this triune God who is one yet three, there is this beautiful uh, intimacy, this, these affections of love that we are placed within as believers. And so Paul was overwhelmed with that thought and kind of writing how they each are working out in our salvation. And that's an important truth for us to once again start off remembering why he's going to lead us today is that you are desperately loved by the triune God. Amen? Like, we can go home right now, all right? Like, that is a wonderful point, that you are loved by God. And so that's what Paul does here. And then kind of coming off of this praise session, what it then uh, motivates Paul to do is it spurs him into this prayer session in a lot of ways. In fact, I love what Tony Merida, uh, who's a pastor and a commentator, he said this. He said, verses 3 through 14 are a hard act to follow, but Paul does so with this magnificent prayer. Verses 3 through 14 are about praise, and verses 15 through 23 are about prayer, which is still mingled with praise. 
The first section is about the spiritual blessings of salvation, and the prayer is about grasping them. And so today, we're going to cover this beautiful topic of prayer. Now, whenever I mention prayer, immediately, like 87% of people are like, ah, I'm not that great at prayer, right? Like most people kind of feel this immediately, like, ah, I wish I prayed more or something like that. In fact, you could be honest, okay, because you're in church. So by a show of hands, how many of you all would say, man, I wish I had a better prayer life, a more satisfying praying life. Like, I wish I prayed more. Who, who would say that? Yeah, right? Okay. And no, keep, keep those hands up real quick. Y'all are like, me, uh. All right? Like, look around. Okay, I want you to look around, for real. Like, this is like 95% of us are raising our hands right now, right? So you are not alone and longing for a prayer life. My hand was raised, too. Like, I think that all of us kind of feel that weight a lot of times. And so one of the things that I want to look at today is how is it that we can grow in a richer prayer life? As I often think that prayer isn't, uh, 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 we don't pray uh, uh, enough, not because we don't recognize the value of it. Like we, we believe that there's value. We believe that we should. We feel that conviction. But I believe that part of the reason that we do not pray with as much fervency or desire that we would have is that we don't believe in the power of prayer. And that's what Paul's hitting on today is this power. There's power in prayer itself. We don't realize that the God of the universe is opening up the very throne room of heaven and he is giving ear to the words that we say. There is power in this. And so I don't think we pray with enough consistency or frequency because, I mean, we just don't realize the gift that is even before us. And so uh, this is what Paul is beginning to unpack for us is this power of prayer, the beauty of prayer. And he goes right from a praise session to a prayer session. So that's what we're going to do too. So in chapter 1, verse 15 is where we're at this morning. Uh, it says this. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, a couple of things off the bat. In light of verses 3 through 14 and the work that God is doing in the salvation of believers, this leads to Paul being thankful to God for what God is doing in their lives. And so what Paul just did in verses 3 through 14 is he was laying out the beauties of the gospel, the way in which the gospel was working in our life, the magnificence of God's love for us. And then he looked at the church of Ephesus and he said, and you know what? I see the power of that gospel working in y'all. Right? Like I, I see God moving. I, I see him building up. I see, I see the power of God amongst you, the believers of God. And so Paul's remembering the beauty of the gospel. And then he looks at the church of Ephesus and says, I see that beauty playing out in your life. And so Paul begins his prayer with thanks or thanksgiving. And so in other words, his praise session actually spills into his prayer session. For praise is nothing but thanks. And his prayer starts with thanks, thanksgiving to God and who he is. And so we see that this filling up in Paul's life immediately. And so one of Paul's patterns of prayer is that of thanksgiving. And what Paul is thankful for are two things in particular. One of them is for the church of Ephesus, the believers, their love for God or their faith in God. And then the second thing that Paul is highlighting is their love for the family, the, the household. He recognizes that they're loving the brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul is thankful for these two things and he's rejoicing at what 
what God is doing. This is actually why it's important for us, friends, if you look at those two things, to actually share our experiences with God and to share our stories and our testimonies about what God is doing in our life. For as we share our testimonies, we actually are hearing about the goodness of God, and it's actually motivating our heart. It's stirring up our affections to give thanks to God, for we realize that God is not silent or inactive, but rather God is moving in each of our lives to help us see the beauty of the gospel, to help us move into intimacy with him. And as we give thanks to God and see it in other people's life, it does nothing but provoke worship. It provokes thanksgiving. It provokes all. We realize that God is moving on our behalf. And so Paul makes a habit of this, of looking out into the church and saying, man, I'm seeing God moving in all of these ways. This is why it's important, I think, and it's encouraging to hear people's testimonies, not just their testimony about how they came to faith, but like, what did God do in your life this Wednesday? right? What did he do in your life this morning as you were driving? Did you see him active, moving? Were you worshiping? Like, what is God doing? How is he moving? This is one of the things that we have to share that we would grow in our faith and our love toward God. Do we hear stories? Do we tell stories about what's happening? And so Paul's thankful for what God is doing in others' life. And he says, man, this is actually even the mark of the true Christian that we see all throughout the scripture, that you're growing for a love of God and a love of the brothers and sisters in Christ. And as those two things are working hand in hand, we see maturity in our faith growing. We see the gospel working out in our lives in these beautiful ways. And so think about some of the other passages as Paul talks about not just their love for God and the importance of sharing what God is doing in our life, but even our love for each other. Paul does this all the time. He sees God moving. He thanks God on that behalf. And we know that this idea of loving each other is very important, right? In fact, in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus would say it like this. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Or 1 John 3, 16, it says, by this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The mark of true Christian maturity is you loving God more and more and more and more, and then you loving the people of God more and more and more and more and more and growing in affection for them because all of this is actually seeing the work of God in each other's lives, worshiping him for that work, and then within that love and affection that we pour out to one another, it's also spurring us on toward loving good deeds. It's spurring us on to be who God has made us to be. And so this is actually an important habit in our prayer life is to see how God is moving within other people's lives. You think about even churches like the church of Corinth. If you're familiar with the scripture, you know that the church of Corinthians had this deep problem. But Paul actually says this in the beginning of that letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Okay, this is an important verse because this was a messed up church. All right. Like they were uh, arguing over doctrinal issues. They were arguing over whose spiritual gifts were the best. They were like, well, I got prophecy. You suck. Right. And they were like doing this over and over. They were literally like stealing communion bread from each other so that other people couldn't eat. So it's like, I know that H-E-B French loaf is really, really good. And they were like taking half of it and not leaving it for others. Like this is a messed up church. Right. In fact, there was a, a man in the church who was sleeping with his stepmother because he was like, well, we're not related. And the church was like, 
ah, we don't really know what to do with it. So they were silent on the issue. And Paul's like, what are y'all doing, right? Like, this is a messed up church, okay? And within all of this chaos and all of this messed upness, Paul would look at them and say, I give thanks to God for the grace of God that's working out in your lives. Paul is thankful to God on their behalf and for them. Why? Why? Well, because Paul is recognizing God's grace. Paul was actively looking for traces of grace in the lives of other people, and then he found those traces of grace, and this gave him reason for gratitude. This is why it is important, friends, listen to me, to see the grace of God in each other. It is important to see God moving in each other's life, for this actually spurs on our prayer life because it causes us to be thankful, which is just another expression of worship, And then it moves us into more and more intimacy with God. See, it's super, super, super easy to be critical of others. It's super, super easy to see the work of sin, the work of Satan, the work of this world, the work of our flesh. But it takes a mature believer to kind of overcome and to oversee even other people's faults and to look for the good that God is doing in their lives and encourage that good and spur that good on to motivate that very person for loving good deeds and then to partner with God to carry out that good in people's lives. And so do you wear the glasses of grace Or do you wear the glasses of criticality? Which lens are you seeing through? Are you only seeing the problems or are you actually able to look at somebody's life and say, no, 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 I see God moving, right? Even when it's all messed up and even when it's kind of conglomerated, right, with all this filth and this messed upness. No, 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 God is stepping in there. He's stepping into that mess and he's moving in in, in these people's lives. And as we actually see that happening, it motivates us toward prayer because it makes us give thanks to the very work of God. We're acknowledging what God is doing and then we're thankful on that behalf. It spurs a heart of gratitude rather than bitterness or or hard-heartedness. It lets you be thankful rather than critical and critical people don't pray a whole lot but thankful people tend to pray more and more. So this is why Paul always starts off almost every single one of his letters with this thankfulness, this gratitude toward God. Now it doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth in love right? Ephesians chapter 4, 15 would tell us to do that. The same book that we're in would say, hey, we speak the truth in love. So when we see that there are situations where somebody can grow, man, we can share those things, but it is helpful to our own souls to honor God by seeing what he's doing in somebody else's life and then to acknowledge that, even worship God for that. And so Paul sees that they're growing in their love or their faith for God and their love for the other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so here's what I actually want to do right now. I want to take some time literally practicing this, right? We all just raised our hand and said, hey, I wish my prayer life was a little bit better. So we're going to pray a little bit right now, okay? And I know that uh, this isn't normal in a sermon, but that's all right. You're in church. You should expect praying a little bit in church, right? And what I want to do is I want to literally take this posture that Paul has here. And so in a second, I want you to pull out your phone. And I want you to be thinking, even right now as I'm talking, who are people in your life where you see the grace of God working on somebody else's life? And can you literally text that person, right, and say, hey, I'm really thankful to God for what I see him doing in your life. I am encouraged by you. You tracking with that? Did you see what Paul did here? I want to do that with each other, that it would spur on a heart of gratitude, and that we would do it in a very prayerful way, right? It's not just exhortation or encouragement. We're saying, man, I'm rejoicing at what God is doing in your life. I'm seeing his grace, and I'm falling more in love with God by seeing that grace in your life. 
And so maybe you're wrestling with the faith or you don't really know where you are with Christ. Maybe you don't have a good prayer life. You don't even know how to do that. That's okay. Okay, maybe still pull out your phone and encourage someone that you're just encouraged by. But I want you to think specifically about the grace of God. How is God moving in people's lives? And so literally, there, this may feel awkward, but I don't care. We're going to take like a minute, two minutes here. And I want you, like everybody's still looking at me, like pull out your phone, all right? And I want to right now just text one or two people, maybe whoever the Spirit puts in your head, puts in your heart, and just say, hey, I'm thankful for what God is doing in your life. And let's do that in a prayerful way, okay? And so I'm going to be silent here. We're going to be silent so we have time to think and to kind of meditate on what the Spirit's telling us. And uh, in about two minutes, I'm going to come back and we're going to continue this text, all right? So give thanks to God for the grace of God in somebody's life right now. Take about 30 more seconds or so. grace of God must not be working in my life at all. I ain't getting no text from y'all. I'm, I'm just teasing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what pastor lets you text in the middle of a sermon? This is great. All right. Hey, I hope it is encouraging, right, that you would continually look for how God is moving in other people's lives. In fact, I hope you keep texting. Maybe you're still texting some people. Man, text them. Tell them thank you that you see God moving. I believe that if we are looking for the grace of God in each other's life more, it will spur on more thankfulness, and that will really spur on a prayer life that is more consistent, that is more continual, that is more thankful to God. And rather than just beseeching and asking of requests, we are actually also thanking him, which will spur us on toward praying even that much more. Okay? So Paul thanks God for what he sees them doing, mainly their love for God or their faith in God and their love toward others. And then he continues in verse 17. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. 
So what Paul then does next is he begins to beseech God or he asks God. He uh, does supplication is the word that we use. That's a long word where it just means like really seeking God, beseeching somebody, even begging that God would move on their behalf. And really that beseeching, that supplication can be wrapped up in uh, the word or the phrase, the illumination in knowing God. That's what Paul's praying for over and over and over here, which is the next slide on here. It's the illumination of them knowing God and of knowing who God is. He wants them to grow in this intimacy with him. And so he's praying for a couple of things. One of them is for wisdom and for revelation, right? Wisdom is uh, sort of the truth that we get mainly through the scriptures, through the word of God. And revelation is the Holy Spirit coming and illuminating our eyes to the truth that has already been written, that is already present about God. So you get this this uh, old wisdom, if you will, with this fresh revelation, this fresh truth, and these two are working hand in hand where the Word of God is spurring us on toward knowing God more, toward loving God more, and Paul is asking that that begins to happen for them. He also prays that the eyes of their heart would be open. Okay, listen to me, friend. Your heart has eyes, okay? I know that modern science would say that's not true, but they're wrong. All right, I'm just kidding, right? But Paul's obviously metaphorically speaking here, but he's speaking a true reality nonetheless. What Paul is asking for is that they would have these spiritual eyes to see who God is and to see what God has done for them. Paul is longing for the church to know God more and more and more and to see God's work in their lives. So he's even kind of taking what he said at first, I see you loving God and loving others. And now Paul's saying, man, I want you to see that even more, right? All the language that we had last week about what God is doing and the beauty of the gospel and the wonders of the cross, like I want your eyes to be illuminated. So I want your heart to experience that. I want you to see things that you didn't think were possible to be able to see. I want you to see God moving, right? I want you to not just hear these words, but to believe these words, to, to see the words with your heart, that they would come alive in these beautiful ways, right? One of the reasons, transparently, that I love Ephesians is that Ephesians is such a, like, feely book. You know what I mean by that, right? Like, I'm an 84F on the Myers-Briggs, if y'all know what that means, right? So I'm just, like, a massive feeler, right? The opposite of that is, like, a thinker, right? So I'm just, like, I was literally crying uh, during the worship set at first. Like, this is so good, right? I, like, cry at Finding Nemo. Don't judge me. I don't care what you think about me. Yes, I cried in that movie. Right? Like, I'm just a feeler, right? Anything that provokes feeling, I'm like, oh, God, it's so good, right? And and this is what Paul is saying here. But he's not just writing this for feelers who cry. He's saying he wants all of us to feel like that. He actually wants all of our eyes, heart, or our hearts, of, or the eyes of our heart to be open. In other words, what he's asking for is this intimacy or this experience of God. He wants this for all of us, that you would know God better and experience him in these beautiful ways. Not just that you would know God intellectually, but that you would know God in your heart. In fact, one of the words that he uses for knowledge here in that passage in Corinthians is one of my favorite words in all of the Greek. Because Paul isn't just asking for a head knowledge. He's asking for this extreme intimacy, this experience with Christ. For this is what the Christian life is about, friends. It's about knowing God. It's not just about ascending to these intellectual truths and then kind of reaching those and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in these, right? But it's actually taking those, applying them into the heart, and then beginning to experience God to know God. It's a personal relationship is what we would say. And I don't just know truths about my wife in my head. I know my wife, 
right? Like, like I, I understand her. I experience her. I'm, there, there's connection there. And we don't just want to know truths about God. We want to know God. That's what Paul is praying when he says the eyes of your heart to be enlightened, that you would know God, the knowledge of God, right? The Greek word there is gnosko. And it's not just a head knowledge, but it's a heart knowledge. In fact, in the Old Testament and the Septuagint, which was the, the, the Hebrew transliterated into the, the Greek, all right? So in the Greek portion of the Old Testament, in uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore a son, okay? That word know there is the same word here for knowledge. Adam knew Eve, and she got pregnant. Y'all tracking with what's happening there? Right, we all passed sixth grade, all right, <laughs> no, right, okay, they knew each other, they got pregnant, what's going on, right? There's this intimacy, there's this connection, there's this experience, right? And so they take that and metaphorically put it into us and God, there needs to be a connectedness and experience and, and intimacy, that's what Paul is praying for. He wants our hearts to open up to be able to see the beauty of God and all of who he is, for this is the very heart of the gospel even, friends. Do you know God? Are are you connected with him? Does he pump through you? Do you feel that even? That's what Paul's praying for. So even for our 100 T's, our total thinkers, he's like, no, no, no. I want you to experience God too, to, to know God in these rich ways. In fact, John chapter 17, verse 3, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, it says, and this is eternal life. Now pause right there because what we think eternal life is is living forever, but living forever apart from God is not eternal life, that's eternal death right? So it's not just living forever. What does, what does Jesus say here? This is eternal life, that you know, there's a word again, right? You know God, the Father, and, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, that you are intimately connected with the God of the universe. This is what the scriptures would call out for his friends. Jesus is here for you to behold. The triune God wants you to know him. The spirit is inside of you to illuminate that knowledge. God wants intimacy, friends, and he's praying, Paul is praying that we would experience that. Charles Spurgeon, who was a 19th century preacher, he once said this. He said, I go back to my home many a time, mourning that I cannot preach my master even as I myself know him. And what I know of him is very little compared to the matchlessness of his grace. Would that I know more of him and that I could tell it better. I literally can't tell you how often I feel like that, right? Do you feel like this? Do you look at your friends and say, Gosh, I want you to know God more, right? I want to know God more, that you may know God more, that we may know God more. The knowledge of God is what we are longing for, friends, is intimacy with God. J.I. Packard, who's a Christian author, he wrote a great book called Knowing God. It's a really, really good book about some of this very topic. And he said that those who know God uh, uh, kind of characteristically have four characteristics, right? There, there are four things that are true about most people who really know God, who experience God, where there's deep intimacy. And he says that one of them is they have great energy for God, right? They're zealous for God and who he is. They're fired up, right? One of them is that they have great thoughts of God. They're ascending into the, the depths of who God is, and they're recognizing more and more that beauty. They have great boldness for God and then great contentment in God. They trust him. They rest in him. And this is so true. For two of these thoughts are what Paul is praying for here. And then he breaks out in prayer again in chapter 3 and kind of prays the other two things. So this is kind of the, the heart of us knowing God. Paul wants us to know God better. 
Not only does he want us to know God better, though, but he wants us to know the gospel better, right? That's how we started off this letter, and he continues it here. Now, just like last week, Paul cannot write all the benefits of the gospel. For if Paul were writing all the benefits of the gospel, Paul would still be alive today writing the benefits of the gospel, right? But what he does is he focuses on one or two of these truths, and he kind of dwells into them, and he wants us to understand the gospel more. So he's praying that we would know God intimately, and then he breaks out that we would know the gospel. And the first part is that he says he wants you to know the hope to which you were called, right? This is very simple, friends. When we hold out the gospel to someone, we are holding out hope to them. This is one of the most important things in our faith, right? We're not saying that when you come to Jesus, everything gets better because that's kind of the prosperity gospel. And when the prosperity gospel is preached and then tragedy happens, we have no idea what to do, right? No, what we are doing is we are holding out hope. Now, do not get me wrong. When you come to Jesus, straight up, your life does get better. Your relationships are more rich. They're more whole. Reconciliation happens, right? There is a joy that is not based on your situations or your circumstances, but rather it is rooted in your heart. So you are not just happy, but rather joyful. So for sure, there are immediate benefits in the gospel, right? But we also know there's still all this tragedy in the world. There's still toils and snares that life has, right? There are traps and there are disappointments. There are uh, frustrations and sin. There's political drama. I mean, there's school shootings. We just saw that this week here in our own state again, right? How often do we see that, you know? And it should frustrate us and anger us. There's a a, a relational conflict and, and unfulfilled dreams. And there's drama. And, man, there's even death still around us right? And if we are kind of prosperity preachers only, we don't know what to do with those situations. But if we recognize the beauty of the gospel, one of the main gifts of the gospel is that there is hope in the midst of all of this, friends, in the midst of death, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of chaos, that there is hope. Because for the believer of God, this is the closest to hell that you will ever experience. And only from here on out, we will pass from life to life, and we will move into greater and greater glory. And all of the things that you long for on your heart will actually come true for there will be no more tears there will be no more suffering there will be no more sin there will be no more death there will be peace and joy and all the things that your heart rightly longs for this will be true in the kingdom and what we're saying is there's hope there's hope there's hope friends we are not a people that are without hope we're not blind we see sin we recognize it but one of the gifts of the gospel is hope For we look at our King Jesus who resurrected out of the grave, just as we just sang about, right? He resurrected, and we believe that because of that truth that we too will one day resurrect, we will defeat this death that clings to us, and we will have hope, friends. You are going to a place where there will be no more sorrow. Do you have this hope? Do you preach this hope to others? Do you offer this hope to others? Do you recognize the value of this hope? Are you growing in hope? This is what Paul is praying for. Secondly, he says there's an inheritance in the gospel. It's the second work of the gospel he's focusing on. I love all the beautiful and lofty language that Paul uses here. He says riches or or glorious inheritance, weighty inheritance even, right? Now, here's what's interesting, though. Because we do have an inheritance in God, as we talked about even last week, right? A lot of people think that this is talking about our inheritance that we get from God. But if you look at the language of the text here, it says uh, the inheritance in the saints, in the saints, okay? What does that mean, all right? In the Greek, it's a little bit more clear. But what Paul is saying here, what he's praying, is that we would actually understand that we are God's inheritance, 
that we are God's inheritance, that we would see how valuable we are to God as shown in the cross of Christ and the death of Christ and that Paul once again wants you to know that you are loved by God and he believes that this will edify your life for this is a work of the gospel that you see how valuable you are to God. And so we won't belabor this point because this is what we talked about all last week. But friends, the king of glory eternal loves you, right? The king of glory loves you. You are his inheritance, his possession, his prize, his victory even. And so do you not feel worthy? The gospel says you are. And when we think about that, when we dwell on that, then what we actually realize is that there is power in God. And that's the third thing that Paul then focuses on here, right? He says he's praying that we would see the greatness of his power that actually cannot be measured, he says, but yet he wants us to grow in it and to know it more anyway. Even though it's kind of, the greatness is immeasurable, he still wants us to know this power, to see it more. These words that Paul is praying for, actually, they're really powerful. They're really purposeful, what Paul is praying. In fact, on the next slide here, I kind of wrote, I just switched out the English to the Greek a little bit. Um, And so this is verse 19 where he's praying for power. He says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his, what does that word look like to y'all? Dynamic or dynamite, I heard too, right? Those are the same root word, okay? Toward us who believe according to the, what's that word look like? The energy, right? And so, in fact, that word immeasurable greatness is used nowhere else in the Bible because Paul kind of made up that word. And so what Paul is trying to do is create this lofty language that you would know the dynamic, the dynamite power, this energy-filled power that is living within you right now. That's what Paul wants you to know, right? There's power in the gospel. There's power in the cross of Christ. The Holy Spirit himself comes down upon us in power. There is power in us. And Paul wants us to understand that power more and more and more. A quick note on Paul's prayer patterns here that we actually see throughout this is that Paul burst out into prayer after praise. And therefore, prayer is continual or it's spontaneous or it's frequent. We should be frequently going to God in prayer. It should just be a habit of ours, right? But we see at the same time, even in the word choice he uses here, that his prayer is very deliberate, right? It's very thoughtful, is dedicated. He's really thinking about what he's saying here. And so it's both ongoing and planned. It's intentional and impulsive. It's purposeful and persistent, right? And Paul's saying, man, this is how I want you to pray, right? And so as we are asking God, we're not just asking for tiny things. No, no, no. We want the power of God at work in our lives, okay? And so this is our supplication, that we would be praying, a people of prayer that are asking God for powerful things. And so just like with the first one, I want to also practice the second one. And we're going to do this a little bit differently as well, okay? I want to go back, and if you go to the next slide, this is what Paul is praying for in the church. It's right here on this screen. And I want us to actually pray this over our church right now. For this letter was written by Paul, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, not just for Ephesus, but for all of the churches throughout all of human history. And so this was meant for our church too, that we would believe these truths as well, okay? And so I want to actually take some time. We're going to read this out loud as a body right now, and I want to pray this over our church, okay? But I want you to, like, pray it over our church, right? Like, don't just say it. Like, man, ask God of these things. Pray in these things. And we're going to read out loud together. The voices would kind of resonate in our hearts, in our minds, that we would be praying this over our body. So I'm going to start us, and I'm going to turn my mic off because I'm too loud right now, all right? And I want us to be praying this over each other. You ready? You ready? All right. So this. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, Amen. I love that. In fact, we can even take those and replace it with the God of, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us, right, right here in this room, the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of him having our hearts opened up. God, 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 would you do that for us, right? Here's my challenge for you. Would you take one of these things that Paul prays right here and would you pray that over our church for the next seven days? I believe that there is power in prayer, and I think with all of us collectively praying together for our body in these ways that we can actually see God moving in powerful ways, I would transparently just love to see how God works through this, okay? Finally, Paul ends his prayer with praise to God again. This is an adoration is how Paul kind of ends it, and what he's doing is he's exalting Christ once again. And so we see that in the, the final section of Paul's prayer here is once again, he's trying to make much of Jesus. So just like he did in the first part of Ephesus and, and just like he did with the, with the lofty language in verses 3 through 14, so he's ending this prayer in lofty language as well. He's trying to exalt Jesus, to make much of Jesus, right? This is why it's the very beginning of our mission statement, to make much of Jesus or exalt disciples. And we want to exalt to make much of God. And so Paul once again is doing that. And what he's doing is he's He's taking this idea of power that he talked about at the end there in verse 19, and he's continually highlighting in four different ways that God's power is displayed. And so let's finish this text here in verse 20. It's this power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, so he continues, and there's four ways that we see the power of God displayed in the exaltation of Christ. The first one is through resurrection, right? It shows that Christ shows power over sin, death, and the grave. And so we see that right there. There's power of God in the resurrection of Christ. Secondly, is through Christ's enthronement. Christ is not just living forever, friends. He's reigning forever. Amen? This is a good truth of our God. He's not just alive, walking. You know, he's enthroned right now, powerful king, ready to reign. And so because of that, there's actually a supremacy of Christ. It's the third thing that Paul focuses on. It's how God shows his power through Jesus so that every single competitor of Christ will be crushed underneath the feet of Christ. So by Satan right? By sin, death, all these things that cling to us that we hate, Christ already reigns and he already rules. And we have hope, which is what Paul prays for, that because Jesus has already proven that he can conquer it, that he will conquer it in us and he will because he promised it. And God will come through on his promises. We have victory because of the victory of Christ, as we sang about once again, right? And then finally is Christ's headship over the body. The church is very, 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 very important to Christ. And he displays his power through the church often. And so if the church is important to Christ, then friends, the church should be important to us too, right? Like this is his wife. 
We are his bride. We are collectively becoming more and more like Jesus, as we see later even in this letter. And so Jesus loves his church, and so we should too, hence the first point, that we should be growing in our love for the brothers and sisters that are in Christ. So as Christ identifies himself with the church and is unashamed to do that, then we should probably be unashamed to identify ourselves with the church too, despite how messed up we look at times. Because God loves that because it's showing off the grace in his life, this glorious grace that is changing us from messed up to bride. And one day we'll be washed white as snow and we can take confidence in that and we can have joy in identifying ourselves with that. For we are saying, yeah, we know we're messed up and broken, but Jesus is working. The power of God is working and the power of God will overcome all of this brokenness, friends. He will restore all things, right? So Paul's praising Christ which we'll get to actually practice in a moment, the third part of our prayer, we will practice by literally praising God once again in song, okay? Paul Lord, uh, kind of starts off his, his letter with praise. He moves into prayer, and then that prayer spurs on praise again. And so we see kind of the pattern of the Christian life in some ways. And I want us to be a people who are praying more, right? Even in this context, the people who are praying for our church more even, just as we saw Paul doing, and what he does is kind of three things here in this. He acknowledges when God has moved, all right? That's what we call thanksgiving there. He's asking God to move more. That's what we call supplication. And then he's adoring God for moving amongst us. This is adoration. In fact, if you're familiar with the Acts model of praying, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, Paul's kind of modeling this for us in these three things, right? And next week in chapter 2, he starts off with confession that all of us are broken. So he even follows that pattern in some ways. What Paul, though, is zoning in here is the power of God that's displayed even through prayer. And so I want us to think about this as we close out this morning, friends. Why is this power of God even possible in the first place? Right? Because if you are familiar with the scripture, you couldn't just waltz up into the throne room of God and just start beseeching God on the church's behalf. No, this actually came to us because of the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross of Jesus, what happened was the veil was torn, which separated us from God. It was severed, and now Jesus becomes our high priest, interceding on our behalf. And any of us can now go to God, and Jesus is even praying for us, even if we're not praying for ourselves. The, the priest is praying on our behalf, but we can go directly into the throne room of grace with confidence, Hebrews says. Why? All because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And now we have power. There's power for revelation, for knowledge, for intimacy, for the eyes of our heart to be open. Why? Well, it's all because Jesus, friends, Jesus, Jesus, the all-powerful one. Philippians 2 says that he counted equality with God, not a thing to be grasped. And so the all-powerful one became weak and helpless as he was dying on the cross, literally laying down that power so that we who are weak and have no business going to God may now have power to walk right into the throne room of grace because he has given that to you, friends. Jesus laid down that power that he may invest it into you. He became weak that you may become strong. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the, the truth that we get, friends. And now we get the opportunity to pray these powerful, powerful prayers. We get this powerful tool of prayer to actually beseech God to ask of him. And so I don't think the solution is, let's just pray more. Let's just pray more. No, no, no. What I think one of the solutions is, do you believe there's power in your prayers, friends, that the ear of heaven is listening to you and that he will respond to us? In fact, let me close this by asking us this. If God were to answer every single one of your prayers in the last month, 
would this world be different or would just your situations and circumstances be different? I believe that we don't believe in the power of God because all we're praying for is these little situations and circumstances. Now, don't get me wrong. Those are good things to pray for. By no means do I think that's bad. Don't feel guilt when I say that, right? But I also believe that there's more, that we can be praying with power, that the God of power, the God of glory laid that down, that he may give that to us, and we may now pray these types of things over our church, over our own lives, over each other, over people who do not yet know him. We can say, God, would you move with power? Would you open up the eyes of his? or her heart. We can pray, and the God of power wants to move, friends. And so I pray that we would trust that, that we would pray in those ways, right? The enemy wants to discourage you from praying, make you feel guilty when you don't pray enough. Jesus already overcame that fool, right? You now have power. He wants to distract you. No, no, no. Find the strength, find power in the gospel, friends. And I pray that we would be a people who, by prayer, are loving each other more and more. Amen? I pray that we would be a people that grow in community, that grow in love, and that we would grow in intimacy with our King Jesus. Amen? For he is worthy. Amen? Amen. Let us be a people of prayer. I love you guys. Let's pray and then praise from that prayer even right now. God, we thank you. We thank you. You are good. Would you teach us to pray, God, with power? I pray power over these men and women. In your name, Jesus, in your powerful name, would they be lifting up requests to you? Would they be seeking you for who you are? Would they be longing to know you, God? I pray they would experience intimacy with you, God. Would these men and women feel intimate with you, our King Jesus? God, would we know you and love you and experience you and see you, God? Please, please, God, please. God, would you give us wisdom and revelation? Would you open the eyes of our heart? Would you help us to see the power of the gospel? Would you help us to be a praying people, God? I pray, God, this week even, that you would motivate us toward prayer, that we would love you more. Would these men and women love you more? Would I love you more? Please help us to love you and to know you. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for loving us. Would we be more intimate? Would we move toward mission? Praise things in your very beautiful name. Amen.